Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1 to 9. And here's what the Lord says through his word. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. This is the word of God. We're going through the book of Proverbs, and uh, the reason we're doing that is because we need wisdom. We need to be wiser people. And we've been saying that Proverbs is not just giving us more information to kind of collect in our head, uh, but the goal of Proverbs is really to transform us to be wiser people. Uh, In other words, it's not enough just to simply know what's right and what's wrong. It's not simply enough to know the law, but we need wisdom in order to know how to apply things to navigate the complexities of life. And of course, when I use that word navigate, what that entails is there are going to be times in life where you're going to have to make a decision, some kind of decision about something in life. Should I make a left turn here? Should I make a right turn here? Should I keep going straight or should I go back? Should I work in this career or should I work in that career? Should I work at this company or should I work in that company? Should I go back to school? Should I live in New York? Should I move somewhere else? Should I date this person? Should I marry this person? Should I not get married at all? And if I am dating this person, is this the person that I really want to marry? Is this the person I should decide to marry? You see, We have all of these decisions that all of us face or will face or are facing currently, and we have to be equipped in order to make wise decisions. Today we're going to look at Proverbs 16, and if you uh, were tracking along with me, you'll notice that a lot of the Proverbs have to do with this idea of plans. And right away you notice that what the Proverbs do is it talks about man's plans and it talks about God's plans. And it doesn't talk about it as kind of this either-or proposition, as if it's either man's plans or it's God's plans. So, for example, if you look at verse 1, it says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Or look at verse 9. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now, what does that mean? Well, at the very least, it means this, that the plans that we make, the choices that we make, that the decisions that we make, they matter. But it also means this, that God is ultimately in control and his plans are ultimately the ones that come to fruition. Now, here's why it's a little bit mentally exhausting because there is a tension there, right? Uh, There's a tension there that I think is very important to maintain if we don't want to veer in the wrong direction. Some of you may be familiar with this tension in the Bible because uh, maybe you've thought about it. Uh, On the one hand, we make plans and we make all kinds of decisions. We, God has given us uh, free will and uh, we are responsible for the kind of decisions and the choices we make. Our decisions, our choices have a very real impact on how our futures turn out, and therefore, we have to try to make good decisions. On the other hand, God is sovereign. God is in control. His plan is the one that ultimately comes to fruition. Nothing happens outside of what God ultimately decrees. And uh, you see the, the tension there, I think, and I know some people oftentimes struggle with holding these two things together because they don't seem like they can go together. 
You might think that if God is ultimately in control, doesn't that mean that there is no free will in humanity? Doesn't that mean that our decisions don't really mean anything? Doesn't that mean that I'm not responsible for my own actions? But that's not what the Bible would say. If we are ultimately responsible for our choices and our decisions and accountable to it and we shape our future, doesn't that mean that God is not in control? Doesn't that mean that he ultimately is not the one in the position of power to orchestrate all things to come to pass? The Bible wouldn't say that either. Uh, The Bible actually says both. It's both. So how do both go together? Well, I don't know. It's a mystery. You know, my oldest daughter and I, uh, we've, uh, she got into puzzles, like jigsaw puzzles. So, you know, we were working on a jigsaw puzzle yesterday. And, uh, you know, we, we try to be very careful with these jigsaw puzzles because it's very easy to lose a piece. And if you lose a piece, then you can't complete the picture. Uh, if you lose a piece, then there's going to be a gap in the puzzle. So, uh, you know, we're working on it. And uh, when there are gaps in the puzzle, you have a couple of options, right? You can try to take two pieces that aren't meant to go together and you kind of... <coughs> Right, jam them together. And uh, when my daughter was younger, that's what she would try to do. Or you can just accept that there are gaps, and you can accept that there are just gaps in the picture, and you won't be able to see the entire picture. But, at least with related to uh, who God is, you can trust that someone sees the entire picture, that someone knows the entire puzzle, and knows how these things are meant to fit together. And, you know, I think trying to understand how God is in control and sovereign how our choices and decisions really matter, how they fit together. It's a little bit like that. You know, theologians in the past, and perhaps some of us as well, uh, have tried to take the approach of, let me, let me try to jam these two things together and make it fit. But I think the way we're supposed to understand it is that, look, there are gaps in our understanding. There are gaps. There's limitations in terms of what we can know. And this is probably going to be one of the gaps. It's, there's mysteries in the Bible. And even though it's a mystery, both are actually still incredibly important to maintain and believe and uphold because otherwise not only do you make a theological mistake but i think you also make a mistake in life when it comes to your plans you see when it comes to making decisions and in particular these really important life decisions that sometimes come up uh, what i've noticed is that there are generally two approaches that people will take so the first approach we'll call it a determined deterministic approach Uh, Sometimes people might call this fate. Sometimes people describe it generically by saying it was meant to be. Uh, It's this idea that there is this outside force that ultimately is determining our futures, and therefore the implication is it's not about the choices that I've made, but it's about some kind of external force that made it happen. And, of course, the, the Christian version of this would say that that external force is God, but you also see that kind of uh, understanding or idea in other worldviews. And uh, this kind of understanding can lead to in uh, various unhealthy directions. So, for example, it can lead to a kind of a fatalistic view of life. Uh, I think the critique of fatalism by the ancients was that uh, if this is something that you believe, then it it makes you idle, I-D-L-E, or it makes you somebody who's uh, uh, inactive in life. And since you believe your choices don't matter because everything is predetermined, then there's no real motivation to try to make good and wise decisions. And uh, I would also probably add that when uh, we approach things like that, then maybe there's no sense of real responsibility for the decisions and the choices that we make. And let me give you an example. For whatever reason, I often see people have this kind of deterministic view when it comes to romantic relationships. Why? I don't know. But that's where I oftentimes see it. I often hear people say something to this effect. You know, fate brought us together. 
God brought us together. And in one sense, of course, that is true because God is sovereign and God is in control. But, you know, both people have to make a decision to make a commitment to one another to be together. That's what marriage is. That's why you make marriage vows. God is not forcing you to make a decision. It's not like you are a robot, but you are responsible and you are accountable for the decisions that you make. Long time ago, you know, my memory is getting worse as I get older. I don't know if this was when we were dating or if this was uh, when we were married, but a long time ago, I remember my, ask, my wife asking me, she said, do you think you could have married somebody else? And uh, I said, I probably could have, right? <laughs> uh, I probably could have married somebody else, but I made a decision and I made a choice to marry you. Oh, this had to be after we were married, right? That wouldn't make sense if we were dating. <coughs> and uh, to which, I mean, well, her, if you want to know her actual response, her actual response was, really, who's going to marry you, right? Probably, <laughs> probably a true statement. Uh, but uh, some of you, might think that that's kind of an unromantic thing for me to say, that uh, it's, I didn't say, like, no, I think we're meant to be together. I think God uh, brought us together, which, again, I would uphold that. I think that's true. But uh, I also wanted to emphasize, look, we're, we're all called to make a decision, and we're all called to make a choice, and I made a choice and a decision to commit to you, and I take that choice seriously, and I'm responsible for it. I'm accountable for it. That means when things start to go bad in a relationship, in a marriage perhaps, People with maybe this de de deterministic view uh, can kind of easily have an out and say, well, this person just wasn't meant for me, or we just weren't meant to be together. You hear that, right? That's a cop-out, friends. That is a cop-out because you made the choice, you made the decision, you made the vows to marry the other person. And therefore, because you're accountable to it, you have a responsibility to say, you know, I need to try to work things out. I need to be a better spouse because it's not simply just some external force that is bringing us and forcing us together. And so you see, if you approach God's plans in that way, then you don't really take seriously uh, the responsibility of the choices and the decisions that you make in life. But here's the thing. If you sway too far in the other direction and you say, well, it's all about our choices, it's all about our decisions, that my future is completely shaped by what I do, and you kind of forget that, no, God is sovereign. God has a plan. He establishes and he executes. You know what happens? It has the potential to really crush us. I think this is probably the more popular view, at least in Western culture, because, you know, Western culture tends to uh, elevate the self and, and the abilities and the powers of the individual. And therefore, it's easy for people to believe that destiny is ultimately in my hands. The future is ultimately in my hands. And my guess is I actually think that's why there are so many people who are so anxious or so depressed. You see, if you're told that your life ultimately comes down to the choices that you make, what's going to happen? There's a lot of pressure to make all the right choices, to make the most perfect choices. Not only that, if you've made a bad choice in the past, guess what? You live with tons of regret, and that regret can crush you. Maybe you're single. And maybe uh, you regret, oh, I regret not uh, putting forth enough effort to meet somebody and focusing too much on career or focusing too much on other things. If you're married, maybe you regret saying, oh, I regret uh, getting married too early or too late or getting married to the person that I got married to. If you're uh, miserable in your vocation, maybe you have this regret of 
you know, I should have studied more when I was in high school, when I was in college, or maybe I should have chosen a different major. Maybe I should have left uh, the job that I was in earlier. Maybe I should have stayed at a particular job even longer. You see where I'm going? Uh, any kind of present dissatisfaction with your life is going to take you down this path of analyzing the choices and the decisions that you've made, and it is going to drive you nuts. Right? It's going to drive you nuts. There's this British author named G.K. Chesterton. He was a journalist, Catholic journalist. He says this, a man does not go mad because he makes a statue a mile high, but he may go mad by thinking it out in square inches. If you're thinking about your life in these square inches and all of these tiny decisions that you've made that has led you to this point, I think it's going to drive you mad. If you think about what you want your future to be like and you think it's all contingent upon every single little decision that you make, I think you're going to be super anxious. And you're, of course, going to want to make the most perfect choice. But how do you know what the most perfect choice is? You don't have all the data. You don't, you don't have all the information. And so you see, if that's you, what do you need to know? You need to know that God has a plan. God has a plan. He is in control. And therefore, where you are in your life in this very moment, even though you might be dissatisfied or discontent with the way that your li life looks, is exactly according to God's plan. God's plan doesn't come to fruition only through your good choices. God's plan may comes to fruition even through our bad choices. Even the suffering and the hardship we've experienced is according to God's plan. And that's why verse 4 would even say this, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Now that doesn't mean evil and, and suffering are good things, and we should never say they are good things. They go against what God intended for his creation. But the least we can say is this, that even these bad things are ultimately for God's purpose. You see that? Do you have regret? Well, don't. It's part of God's plan. Are you discontent with your present circumstances in life? It's part of God's plan. Our choices and decisions matter, but we don't make our choices and decisions in a vacuum because the Lord is the one who establishes our steps as it says in verse 9. You see why this was like mentally draining for me this week to like not go too far in one direction but try to equally uh, uphold both ideas. Now, it's good that the Lord establishes our steps, I think. Why? Because like I said before, we don't always know what's best for us. We don't know our future. We don't know that this decision is ultimately going to lead to uh, a better future. And in retrospect, we don't always make the best choices if we look back into our past, and we certainly don't always do it with the right motives uh, in the choices that we make. And if you look at verse 2, it says this, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. And I think what that's saying is that, you know, uh, even though we think we might be making choices and decisions with a pure heart and pure motives, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that we are and that the Lord will ultimately weigh our motives. Our self-perception and God's perception of us is not always going to be the same, that we can perhaps deceive ourselves. And that's also a good reason why it's good that God's plan ultimately comes to fruition because you know, he can even use our poor or wicked motives, again, for his purposes. You know, sometimes our lives are a mess because we made a bad decision, we've made a mistake, Sometimes our lives are a mess for some other reason that's beyond our control. But you know, even when our lives are a mess, we can trust God and say that he orchestrated all these things for his purposes, for a reason. 
and perhaps some of you can relate to this, but I think many people have come to faith or their faith has been renewed in their complete mess. And when they look in retrospect, they look at the complete mess of their lives as a product of God's grace in terms of his pursuit of them. And ultimately, God works all things for our good. Now, I wouldn't approach everything like that and kind of analyze it and try to discern exactly what uh, we think God is doing uh, because there is going to be an element of mystery to it. But then the question for us is like, so then how does the book of Proverbs, how does this passage suggest that we go about making decisions? Does it give us any kind of guidance? And I I do think it does. Look at verse 3, and it says this, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Let me read that again. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Now, it doesn't say commit your plans to the Lord. It says commit your work to the Lord. And I think maybe when we uh, kind of read that at first, we, we might think it's saying this, that if you commit your work to the Lord, then God is going to make your plans succeed. But I don't think that's quite what it's saying. Uh, it's not saying, you know, gee, uh, I thought God would give me this job or connect with me this person or do this because I prayed for it. And in my heart of hearts, I made, tried to make Jesus the center of my life. And therefore, I thought God was going to make it happen. That's not what this proverb is saying. I think what it's actually saying is this. If you commit everything that you do, all of your works to the Lord, then you'll view plans uh, in a right way. You'll, you'll even actually be a better planner. You know, there's a prayer that we prayed before, and that, that prayer says this. Let us seek to do what you bless rather than asking you to bless what we do. And I kind of think that's what this idea of this Proverbs is saying. It's the same idea because what is the definition of a good plan? It's not necessarily the one that gives us everything that we want, but a good plan is one that is in line with what God ultimately wants because God knows everything and God is supremely wise and loving. Now I should also say that this proverb also implies something that's important for us to recognize and that's this that we don't know always with absolute certainty what God's plan is for our lives outside of what the Bible says. So it's saying, commit your work to God, which is essentially saying, trust God with all that you do, with all of your plans. Trust God with even the results, no matter what happens. So how do we make plans when we don't know what God is ultimately planning for our futures? Uh, And this is just more of a, a summary of what I think the Bible says and what some of the Proverbs say. Uh, I think we have to do it in prayer. I think we have to know what the Bible says, and I think we have to do it in community. Those three things, prayer, Bible, community. You should pray to make sure that there is no no fear or some kind of intense desire that may be clouding uh, your your discernment or your judgment. Uh, That's not driving your life, so you can really think clearly about what God might desire. Uh, You should even pray, I would say, that God would give you a sense of what he wants, But you should also read the Bible. And uh, let me add this. You should also interpret the Bible uh, correctly. (laughs) You know, I I still come up, uh, I still meet people um, who say this, but a lot of people kind of extract maybe one verse out of the context of the entire passage, and they say, uh, God spoke to me through this one verse. And then uh, I say, oh, what verse was it? And it's like really really disconnected from what the rest of the passage is saying, and it's kind of a distortion of, of the meaning of it. Uh, so when you read the Bible, you, you really have to understand it uh, in terms of what God is saying in its context and try to interpret it correctly. Now, 
uh, I should also say you want to surround yourself with people, and this is definitely something that the book of Proverbs says, uh, people who love you, people who are willing to speak the truth to you, so that if you're making a bad decision, uh, there are people who can say, hey, I don't think that's a wise decision. You should do something else. So let me give you an example. You know, if you're trying to figure out maybe uh, whether to uh, marry a particular person, you should pray and make sure that this desire to get married is not driven by some kind of uh, fear uh, of commitment or it's not driven by the fear of being alone because that's going to cloud your judgment. You should know what the Bible says about marriage because when your life is in accord with what the Bible says, then you can be certain that you're following God's will with respect to what he's told us in his word. And finally, you should ask people in your community. You should ask your friends. You should ask your family. And you should say, you think it's a good idea to marry this person. And you know, after all of that, you know what you do? You make a choice. You make a decision. And you take responsibility for that choice and for that decision, uh, irrespective of how the future turns out. And after you make that decision, then in retrospect, you say, this is God's will. This was God's will for me. And you try to build a good and strong and healthy marriage. You see, we, we have to really uphold these two things and not lean too far in one direction because I think uh, it just leads to a lot of unhealthy results. But you know why else we, we have to uphold these two things? I think we have to uphold these two things if we want to also properly understand what Jesus Christ has done for us. You see, freedom to decide what to do, I think, is something crucial in order to understand the gospel properly. Uh, you know, there's some people, uh, I know like new atheists, I, I think they're called. Um, a lot of times they like to characterize God as this kind of cosmic child abuser because it's like he made, God made Jesus die upon a cross in order to save the world. And their conception of the cross is uh, more like the child sacrifices that were done in ancient Aztec or Mayan cultures where a child would be sacrificed to a deity. But there is a difference between one who is sacrificed without choice and one who chooses to sacrifice themselves for the sake of others. There's this documentary and there's this book and there's a story. Uh, perhaps you've heard of it. I think it's somewhat well-known. It's called uh, Man in the Red Bandana. Anybody hear of it? Nope. Great. So you won't, you won't know the conclusion. Uh, you know, this is a story about Wells Crowther. Who is Wells Crowther? Wells Crowther was a 24-year-old who worked in equities in the South Tower of the World Trade Center. When he was a little boy, his father gave him a white handkerchief and a red bandana. And he said, this white handkerchief is for show, this red bandana is for blow. Ever since, he was known to just be the person who would always have this red bandana with him at all times. Well, this 24-year-old Wells Crowther, he worked on the 104th floor of the South Tower and he was there on September 11th, 2001, when the tower was struck by an airplane. Uh, he was able to leave a voicemail to his mother and tell her, I'm okay, don't worry, Mom, I'm okay. But then after that, he was never heard from again. Two months after the attack, his mother starts to see these stories in the news and in the media about how there was this mysterious man who helped lead people to safety people who were injured, people who were dazed, people who had no idea where to go and how to get out 
of the building, and he would, this mysterious man would lead these people to safety. After they were safe, he would go back up and try to find more people and try to bring them to safety. Nobody knew who this mysterious man was, but they would all say he wore this red bandana. Instantly, his mother knew, that's my son. You know, when all is said and done, uh, I think he's credited with saving um, at least 10 people. And to save those 10 people, it came at a cost of his own life. Now, Wells Crowther made a choice. He made a decision to help others, even at the expense, even at the ultimate cost of his own life. And you see that choice of sacrifice. It's not, it's not abuse. <laughs> it is a powerful act of love and of courage. You know why we have to uphold uh, choice? Jesus made a choice. Even though he was God, in his humanity, he made a choice. He made a decision to submit himself to death upon a cross, to drink the cup of wrath that God had for him for our sin. He made a choice to die for us so that we might be saved. You know, at the same time, that was part of God's plan. That was part of God's sovereign plan. In fact, the Old Testament is filled with clues that this was God's plan all along to redeem us. Jesus decided to give up his life in this great act of love and courage. And even though it was something that Jesus chose, it was also something that God orchestrated consider this when Jesus prayed he said this to his father if it's your will take this cup away from me right referring to the cross take this cup away from me and we see Jesus is wrestling with what he is about to be subjected to but he's also submitting to the plan of God which he knows and he says God if this is your will fine may it be done I'll go to the cross we need these two things and we needed to really rightly understand the gospel. Now let me just add this. Um, you know, when Jesus was praying that, he didn't have peace in his heart, right? He's sweating blood. He's filled with turmoil. He doesn't have peace in his heart. I think a lot of times when we make our plans and we say, oh, this is from God because I have peace in my heart, that could be true. But you also have to be open to the idea that it's not just about peace in your heart because what if Jesus had said you know I don't have peace in my heart so maybe this is not something God wants me to do you see friends sometimes I think following God's will following God's plan sometimes it's actually going to lead to great turmoil in our hearts sometimes it's going to mean that we should make a decision to give something up that is ultimately not good for us and it's not going to lead to peace in our hearts. But perhaps that is what God is calling us to do. You know, Jesus was one who committed to doing the Father's will because he knew that was his purpose. And he knew that was God's way. The only way that God would bring redemption and salvation to the world, to you and me, here today. And we can say it was filled with love filled with grace and filled with mercy because it was something that Jesus didn't have to do. Commit your work to the Lord. 
Trust in the plans that God has set. Find peace in what God has set. But commit all the decisions and the choices that you make to the Lord. And what God does with it, may he do. But trust that it will be according to his good, sovereign wisdom. Let's pray together.